This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Okay, what is your... No, that's not a good question. What's the question, though? I mean, the question was, like, what's the craziest interaction you've had with another human being because of Pokemon Go? And it's obviously... The same when one we had. When we both went to go challenge a gym in South Philly, and there were, like, people there in a van who were, like, apparently driving around and just challenging all the gyms together. Yeah, that one guy shouted something as if... He was running a business that involved mm-hmm. getting in his unmarked van and driving to Pokemon Listen, gyms. Man, there are, there are people who are offering services like Uber for Pokemon where they drive you around while you catch Pokemon. I am not making this up. <sighs> yeah. I presume folks who listen to this show through a smartphone have heard of Pokemon Go, the greatest game. The Not the greatest game. But it's, it's like, quickly it's quickly becoming the only game. It's very popular and it's like its success is sort of astounding to me because it's barely a game and mm-hmm. it's like half broken. Yep. Most of the time. Yep. And it doesn't explain to you how to play it. Nope. Or to like win at it. There's no winning, but it's still very fun. It's fun. You got to catch them all. To to talk about and think about and occasionally do. Insofar as it's fun to do things with a lot of people. Yes. Where you all have like a common reference point and can all talk about it. So, yes. yeah, we've been catching them all, all week. There's no I, stopping us. I feel like there's going to be some sort of backlash where like... Oh, yeah. Oh, there already has been. Don't even worry about it. Parents are like, can you all just stay inside and read a book, please? Can you just wrap yourself in pillows, forget you ever heard the word Pokemon, and just like plunge your nose into this book? Get pale. Pokemon Go has completely changed how I feel about parks, though, you know? Because like parks, they were pretty and they were like fine and they were like a good place to have a farmers market or something but i didn't go to them all that often now they are hopping hubs of pokemon activity because there's usually a gym there and there are like a million people who are luring all the pokemon there and now whenever i'm walking anywhere i always make a point of like walking right through the middle of a park so i can catch all the pokemon <laughs> yeah okay this is a book podcast stay yeah. pale stay pale stay safe everyone um Stay inside. I don't think uh, we've done the thing yet. What? Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about books. If you, if everything we just said is like sounds like a different language, then go listen to NPR or watch the nightly news. <laughs> You'll find out about Pokemon <laughs> watch Go. All, watch all your local newscasters try and decipher what Pokemon <laughs> Go is. You'll have at least as much fun as you will have playing the game. Uh, but when we are not catching as many of them all as we can, we are reading books and talking about them on this show so that you don't have to read them or can have disagreements with us or we can say things that make you giggle or laugh about the books that you like to read. And one of us has always read the book. What? And one of us has not. Andrew. What book did you read? Um, I read The Likeness by Tana French. Tana French. We have covered her before. We have Some indeed. like 120 episodes ago. Yeah, it's dumb that we even have that many episodes ago. <laughs> like I go back 50 and I'm like, oh, wow, that was like a week ago. That was forever nope. ago. Yeah. Nope. Not at all. Um, so, Craig, you read her debut novel, In the Woods. Correct. For like episode 50-something. Yeah. Similarly, that episode, um, we have a we have a strict policy of never looking back on this show. But whenever we do... Always forward. Um, like last time, we talked about Tana French. We talked about feet and chicken fingers for four minutes. Mm-hmm. So, 
things have Pokemon only... Pokemon is at least as related. <laughs> yeah, In the Woods is a crime novel. It's a mystery uh, set in Ireland. Tana French is what she's... Um, she's lived in America. She's lived in Dublin. She's from Malawi also. She's been a couple of different places. Uh, and she was an actress for a good long time and actually wrote the uh, In the Woods while like in between casting calls in like the mid aughts and then that was published in 07 or 08 mm-hmm. when was this book published do you know um this book was published in 2008 okay um, great it was like mid it was summer 2008 in the woods was published in january of 2007 and then since this book came out she has regularly published a new book in the series um every two years in the summer so um this is the Dublin Murder Squad. Yeah, series. which is a pretty cool name for a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she's she's only as far as I know, she has only written Dublin Murder Squad books. Um, the sixth one, The Trespasser, is due out in August of this year. Of this year, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, In the Woods is the first one. The Likeness, which I read, is the second one. Um, and then there's Faithful Place, uh, Broken Harbor, and The Secret Place. Mm. And that, that one was uh, widely acclaimed, I believe. Most of, yeah, a lot of them, like, they pretty regularly win awards and get shortlisted for, for stuff. She's she's known for them, and then she, I don't know, she she does one thing and she does it pretty well. Yeah, I, I haven't been able to find much about her acting career since she started writing i'm sure that she you know could and maybe has if she wanted but it sounds like once this stuff took off like she she is just a mystery writer now like that's her jam Mm -hmm. um and she's from what i from what i can tell she's into mystery mostly for the sake of mystery like these books have strong central characters but she's really interested in what how those characters l- learn the crucial information of the book. I was reading about in the woods. Um, you should go back and listen. It's not, I listened to like the first half of it to refresh for this one. And I was surprised that we were doing such a good job. Good job us. Yeah. The, um, something about the mice we were using that makes us seem a lot like sleepier though, or maybe we yeah. were sleepy, but whenever <laughs> I go back and listen to those old episodes, it's always the energy is a little different. Yeah, it is. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> there's a central mystery at the heart of that book. So one of the things I'm sure we'll get into is that each of these Dublin Murder Squad books has a different protagonist, and the protagonist of that book, um, Adam, quote unquote, Rob Ryan, um, had a Rob th- short for Adam, of course, it's short for middle name Robert Andrew. Come mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. Uh, he had like a he had a tragic history that he only sort of remembered that was related to the central crime in that book. And she never revealed exactly what happened to him in that incident. And she kind of enumerated why in a Goodreads post of all places, which I found fascinating, where she spoke about, you know, her three options were completely change the character thereby, you know, giving him what the readers want to have, mm-hmm. um, have some other character learn it, and that would be hokey and forced, or just, like, write the book the best way she knew how, complete the arc in front of her, and then walk away with, like, an important mystery unsolved, because that's life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'd be interested to see if there's similar stuff in this, or if that that just seems to be what she's interested in, is, like, there are big, fat question marks in the world, and, like, yes, she can set up the dominoes for some of them to get solved, but she's much more interested in the people solving them. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's a common thread here. I will say that um, most of the questions that are sort of posed by this book do get wrapped up fairly neatly by the end of it. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it's very much so. For every one of these Dublin Murder Squad books, she focuses on a different character, and like they usually know each other. Like um, Rob Ryan gets a couple of mentions. In this book. Sure. And I think we we talk to him on the phone. We don't even talk to him on the phone. We just call him on the phone and he like answers once in this book. Okay. So you don't really hear a lot from him, but you do uh, follow his partner, Cassie Maddox. Mm-hmm. Um, she has um, like the supervisor, Frank, who 
I believe is the main protagonist in the third Double Murder Squad book. So, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, it jumps around a lot. And um, I picked this book because it was a patron suggestion. And I picked it off the list without... Um, like I bought it without looking up anything about it. You immediately first. texted me and you were like, oh my God, did you want to read this? Yeah. I was just like, oh, this, this book is not a thousand pages long Uh huh. and it's a mystery and I don't think I've read one of those in a while. So let's go for it. And then I realized that it was a sequel to something and I was worried that I was getting in <laughs> over my head, but you don't really need to know what happened in the previous book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I, I wanted to talk about just for a minute, like the nature of writing sequels. Okay. Especially when, when you're not doing like a heavily serialized book, when you're just doing like a lightly serialized one, like a mystery novel or something. Sure. Do you, do you have any experience reading like the sequel to something without having read the original? Cause there are obviously some books where, or there are like some movies even where it doesn't work. Like I did when I saw the two towers movie in theaters, I was definitely sitting in front of somebody who had not read the books and also had not seen the first movie. Oh, no. <laughs> so they kept asking their friend all these <laughs> questions. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I don't know if I have. I, w- I really wish I had like a an answer ready to go. Well, just it's, it's an interesting tightrope. Like maybe even, maybe you've played a video game or something that was like, technically the sequel to a thing that you never really played i don't know but it's a it's an interesting tightrope to walk because you want to i think i think that uh tana french wanted to like she's obviously intending to write something that where you don't need to have read the first one mm-hmm. to enjoy this one which i think is like smart because otherwise you're potentially limiting your audience every time you come out with a new book Yep, and yeah, the way that she drops breadcrumbs that obviously I probably would appreciate more if I had read the previous book, but like she gives me enough information as a reader that I I can read this as a standalone thing and come away satisfied. Well, I guess without I, feeling like I need to read another five hundred page novel as like research, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just trying to rack my brain. And I, the first thing I could come up with was *Hound of the Baskervilles*. Like, I have never read a Sherlock Holmes book, and I, I think there's probably some worthwhile overlap here in that this is the crime genre, and I think this genre in particular has a lot of that, like. There is either a central character, or in this series case, like a a like place from which to draw your next protagonist mm-hmm. that connects it to the previous books. But most of them have been written so that you just pick it up. Great, here's the next one. Like, yeah. uh, maybe Sherlock Holmes would reference a previous case. Maybe he would drop in a line. But those books, as I recall. And Baskervilles was certainly this way. It's so lean and so focused on the crime at hand that, yes, it might be fun to, like, have read the other books because then maybe you're thinking, like, that might feed into what you think he will do next. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't affect how you take in the actual information. And so many of these books are, like, it really is just how does the author set up information? How do they deliver information in a way that's compelling and draws you along? without like bogging you down too much along the way yeah and it's sort of a it's i guess it's a similar feel to like a crime procedural or something like your law and order or your yeah boneses or your criminal minds i don't need to have seen all of svu to know what iced tea is gonna say next right or i know it's gonna be funny you could dip in and enjoy a story and i'm not gonna retell that John Mulaney joke, but like just be <laughs> thinking about it whenever we talk about Law and Order. But <laughs> can I ask? ask yeah, you like they real... they they provide like a neat beginning and ending yeah. to every story, and I guess that's why they they work particularly well in this like serialized, but not. Yeah. Format. Can I ask you? Like, I don't think of you as someone who gravitates towards procedurals and this type of story. Thanks. I and not. <laughs> <laughs> in that i uh the you know the tv i i hear you talking about on your podcast appointment television is very successful if you just go listen to it atvpodcast.com um, oh jesus uh we got facebook and twitter pages <laughs> just get back in the box um 
that I I hear you drawn <laughs> to like s- serialized character driven shows, and you you will get a little upset if shows are like bogged down in mushy plots. And I but I don't hear you like talking a lot about like your laws and order or or shows like that. It's I not that I dislike it. I mean, I did watch. Um, like (laughs) eight-ish seasons of Bones before we stopped watching it. We may have gotten into part of season nine before I finally pulled the plug on that. On that, okay, cool. Um, it's not that I don't like it. It's I do get a little bored with it Mm. eventually. Like Like, I can't just watch these same characters do the same stuff like over and over and over again. And eventually, they're patterns and their conventions and like knowing exactly what every character is going to do gets like it it goes from comforting to like funny to annoying over the course of a couple of years (laughs) i feel like for some people it's comforting and it allows them to engage with the whatever was ripped from the headlines for that episode in a way that they wouldn't have on their own and like that's why people maybe gravitate to, towards those shows. Mm-hmm. But if your natural inclination is to just start like peeking behind the curtain and being like, "Oh, well, here comes this guy. Here comes that guy. <laughs> this is what's going to happen next." I'm that boy. Um, then, yeah, then that makes sense. Yeah. Um, um and and there is like, you do want to have if you're watching a bunch of TV shows, you you do want to have shows kind of ranked by the amount of attention you know you're going to need to pay to them. Yep. Like sure. TV that I can watch while only paying like a third of my attention to them yeah. is pretty. It's pretty key. There's whole channels built around that, Andrew. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. HGTV says hello. Anyway, that's like the nature of of mystery stories, I guess. Yep. Print it. Put it <laughs> in the Library stories. of Congress. We're done. Good uh, podcast. Before we dive into the book, Andrew, I do think that we should maybe plug the thing we're gonna do in like a month. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm uh, going to go to Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Is that what we're going to do? Before uh, Oh, you were after... talking about the other thing. You're talking about the live show that we're going to do in the city of Philadelphia. Yeah. On Saturday, August 20th at 6 p.m. at the Tattooed Mom Bar on South Street. Correct. Like 5th and South Was Street. Was that what you meant? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't know we were going to Chipotle. You ruined. I'm sorry that you had to ruin the surprise. Surprise! Um, I got one of them customer loyalty cards. <laughs> it's one. It's one of the things they're trying to do to make you forget that they food poisoned a bunch of people. <laughs> anyway, live show. Yeah, we're going to be in the I believe fourth annual Philadelphia Podfest. A prestigious. Yeah, Philadelphia and, Podcast uh, Festival. We were there last year. We read. What did you read? Go tell a watchman. Yeah, I read. Go set a watchman. Ah. Go set a watchman. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep, maybe yep. Uh, I'm going to be reading Watership Down. I hear there are rabbits. Yeah, there are rabbits, my that's, dude. That's <laughs> what I know about. I'm going to uh, have to prepare some video clips from that movie because, I, oh boy. Yeah. I'm, I can't wait. Um, yeah, so, so you can. The good. tickets are free. I don't we, even know we, that you need tickets. I think you just show up and grab a drink yeah, and have some laughs. Yeah, there, we're, there's a great room in the back of Tattooed Mom, which is an awesome bar. Like, if you want to RSVP to our Facebook event so that we can get like excited about how many people are coming, that'd be cool. Yeah, we got to put but, some butts in seats, y'all. Other than that, like, just come hang out with us. Show up a couple hours early and watch Appointment Television, that show we just talked about. Andrew, you don't need to plug it anymore. We'll just keep moving. It happens at 4 um, p.m. at the yeah, Tattooed Mom Jesus. Bar. Ugh. In Philadelphia, Saturday, August 20th. Get there. Get there. Hopefully, stick around for our show. Um, yeah, I just feel people people should know about that. Go check out what phillypodfest.com for more information about the other shows that are happening. It's a great time. Mm-hmm. We hope to see you there. Yep, and we'll be, uh, we'll be pushing it regularly on Twitter and Facebook. And yeah, just reminding you at every step of the way. So... Um, yeah, we have. I think we have a bit better time slot than last year. True, because last year we went like at Sunday at one p.m. or something, which was fine. It was great, but this time we like close the show on Saturday, so like I'm gonna feel a lot more like I can get drunk and hang out with everybody. Yeah, we're closing <laughs> so. the first full day at Tattooed Mom, so like mm-hmm. help us 
help us headline that day and come on out and see us. If you're anywhere on the East Coast, come see us. Yeah. Or, or not. Else. Like, fly yeah. in from another state or country. Like, we will have a drink with you. It'll be great. <laughs> Andrew, tell me about this dang book. This ding dang book. Okay. Uh, let's let's start from the beginning, I guess. So, Huh. Interesting idea. We're checking in with Cassie Maddox, who... Yes. I, you know, I didn't read the first book, but what I gleaned from this book is that the case she was on with her former partner, um, Rob Ryan, did a number on her. Correct. And partly because, and, and this is where we should say that we're going to spoil elements of both of these books. I am not going to spoil the end of this book. And I tried not to spoil the end of it Which encompasses like time, the yeah. whole last quarter of it. Like <laughs> totally. it just is ending for a while. <laughs> okay. Um. But so so they got uh, Cassie and Rob got romantically entangled. Yes, they did. And he, the thing about Rob is that because of his trauma as a kid, like he has this sort of fake identity, but not not totally fake. It's just he's not letting everyone know that like that was him, and it's affecting his ability to do this case in his hometown. And then in a moment of weakness, he like takes advantage of his professional relationship with Cassie and mm. they get together and then he like starts getting all terrible and weird about it. I was refreshing myself with some summaries earlier today and some people were like pointing out that he can't be like by sleeping with her, he loses respect for her cuz he can't respect like he has a problem where he like does not respect the people he's romantically involved with. Cool so, dude. Yeah, so <laughs> nice. he's terrible. And by all uh, by all accounts, she actually did most of the work on that case. But it does kind of that messes her up. Just dealing with this seventeen year old girl who's like an Iago like psychopath at the heart of that mystery kind of mm-hmm. messes with her head. Iago the parrot from Aladdin. Iago the bad guy from the play Othello. Oh, okay. <laughs> From whom Walt Disney like got the inspiration for that parrot, okay? I was just going to say, like he does seem like a psychopath in the movie, but in the animated series, he ends up being, being sympathetic. Yeah, yeah right. that, they always have room in the animated series to like flesh out the bad guys and make them likable. Right. I think the- it started in Return Return of Jafar, which is the direct-to-video sequel to oh, not, Aladdin that oh, they did. Oh, not and Aladdin then, 3, Prince of Thieves? No, I don't think it was in Aladdin 3, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> Prince Ali. Uh, so, yeah, and I believe she ends that book engaged to Sam O'Neill, who is... Yes. Now, maybe it's an. I don't know if it's implied that they're engaged or or what. Well, but because they are, she she ends this book actually getting engaged to him, so I don't know if there's some like time jumping or maybe it wasn't as explicit in it, in the woods. Or yeah, I, I. It might be there might be a time jump thing um, that I don't remember, but okay. he he is like a good old boy who is pretty like gets called out for, for being naive, but he gets brought into that case and, and so, I don't so on think and so is forth. good so. old boy. Right. Cause that has uh, like connotations of like rich whiteness. No, I don't. He's, he's a reliable. Yes. He's like, a naive sap. He's, a, he's, he's not a, good, a yeah, he's a good no. dude. He does realize that his like politically connected uncle is like corrupt and that like breaks him a little bit. Oh, neat. So maybe he used to be a good old boy and now he's just a good boy. Good, just good a boy. good boy. <laughs> All right. How about this book, though? So, okay, Cassie, so we, we what's Cassie with, up to? With Cassie, kind of like she was on the Dublin Murder Squad, mm-hmm. chung chung, and <laughs> they did this case, and it kind of messed her up. And she left the Murder Squad after that, and she's okay. now um, doing domestic violence stuff. And she's dating Sam, and like things are going okay, but she kind of hasn't been herself since this case happened, and. Um, we find out in a flashback that she actually started her career in undercover where okay. she worked with this guy, Frank Mackey. And like on her first day, they like almost as a test of her, they, they come up with this, um, this undercover persona for her um, mm-hmm. named uh, Lexi Madison. And they're going to use her, I think to infiltrate some kind of drug ring or something. Sure. Um, and this comes up later 
and then then we flash back to the present day. Um, Sam calls uh, Cassie all distraught and tells her she has to come out to this crime scene. So she's in. The, she goes out to this remote um, place. And there's been this body found in this dilapidated old, um, it's called a famine cottage. I think it um, dates from the potato famine. I would imagine. Okay. Yeah. Um, and in that cottage has been found somebody who looks just like Cassie, hmm. whose name, whose given name is Lexi Madison. Weird. Yeah. So that's the likeness. Yeah, that's the likenesses. They look like each other. Okay. And cool. um, Sam Sam and Frank are both there, and there are not any really good immediate leads. Like, the crime scene has been scrubbed of prints, and, like, there Did are it, no... Like, how is she killed? Did it, can they tell? She was stabbed, and it, like, nicked one of her lungs. Okay. And she, like, over the course of maybe half an hour to an hour... um. Like, as she breathed, she basically was slowly suffocating herself. Yeah, because she couldn't actually breathe. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so there are, no, there are no obvious leads or motives or anything. And so Frank, who seems kind of crazy and, <laughs> and like, not maybe, like, the best guy. Um, In, like, a it, Jay Peterman way? Like, sure. an Is he eccentric? Is he's, he? Yeah, he's a, a little eccentric and a little amoral. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Um, So he gets it into his head that wouldn't it be great because she just happens to look like Cassie if they sent her undercover with these four college students that Lexi had been living with and like tried to suss out some more information. Okay, so Lexi has not been missing long enough for anyone to be like, hey, did my friend get killed? No. So no, she, they they find her like the night that she died, like okay, a few hours okay. after. Some guy was like walking his dog. It was it was basically the cold open to a Law and Order episode, okay. <laughs> where some guy was walking his dog and he ran into this house and found a dead body. Okay, like the dog like broke away and the guy tripped with the leash and stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then you do like a fade or not even a fade, like a smash cut to like it's the morning and there are sirens there and the the crack team at the Jeffersonian and Dr. Bones and Angel are there like to crack the case. And Ice-T is like, oh, this coffee's terrible. Yeah, it's great. Oh, Everybody's man. there. I, I know that the, what's his name, Munch Crunch, the, the cop yeah. from Law & Order. Munch and Crunch. Yeah, <laughs> Munch and Crunch. Um, he shows up in like all kinds of crime shows, right? I don't know if he's shown up in Bones. Aren't all those shows just in like the same the homicide same life on the street, weird snow globe, homicide snow globe? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically the, the that's that's the start of the case. And I should note at this point, um, I had not I didn't know this while I was reading the book, but I found in my research after that, um, Tana French says that uh, Donna Tart's The Secret History was an influence for this one uh we also read that book yeah and if you don't recall it was about a group of college students who commit murder most foul yes and we we hear about it from the eyes of this like audience surrogate sort of outsider character who's who's thrown into this this group of really tightly tightly knit friends who very conveniently have no other real ties to the outside world yeah she 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 kind of explained that in an interview with the guardian i think when this mm-hmm. book came out uh, probably among some other places but speaking about the power of friendship in the context of these stories which are often focused on romantic relationships or maybe like business deals yeah so i'll be interested to come back to that that same interview i found that quote andrew she also name checked mary renault and josephine tay both of whom we've read for this show. So oh, nice. basically... That's the benefit of having done 180 shows is that usually <laughs> we at least have some context for stuff Tana now. French, if you're listening, what's up? If you're not and someone knows her, tell her what's up. Wait, what's up? I don't know. Just what's going on? <laughs> How are Just you doing? Hi. <laughs> Listen, if you know Matt a... Damon, tell him hey for me too, right? <laughs> yeah. Mandy Moore, what's going on? Let's. Get, How are you? Are you good? Are you good? Are you still out there? <laughs> this is our weekly check-in on Mandy Moore. I hope she's good. Our Mandy Moore fan cast. Yep. 
It's called More More. Now, is Ca- oh, is Cassie <laughs> into this plan? Is she railroaded into this plan? She, it's, Frank basically knows just how to push her buttons, and she is, like, she hasn't been really thinking about it, but she's not really engaged in domestic violence. Sure, okay. Um, And she, like, Undercover is complicated, and I think you did a little bit of, of research about that, but there is, like, a thrill that comes with, like, get, being someone else and, like, getting in with other people under these pretenses that she yes. is sort of eager to experience again. Mm-hmm. Even as she even as she recognizes that, like, it's a job that can really screw you up, and the people who tend to be drawn to it are themselves often screwed up yeah in a bunch of ways Uh uh-huh um so yeah she's she is sent to um these these four other kids live it's not they're not like kids really they're like mid-20s or something like that grad students i think okay Um, they live in this this home called uh the white thorn house i believe Mm -hmm. and it's like the ancestral home of of this guy um daniel is his name <laughs> Daniel. Just Daniel. <laughs> Daniel March. Daniel not Daniel Whitethorn. No, I don't know why it's called the Whitethorn House. Get off my butt. Get, I'm gonna get on Daniel's butt about it. <laughs> um so Daniel and uh Raphael, who's his name is spelled Ray like R A F E. Um, which I I see in my head as Rafe, but it may also be just Raph. Oh no, I, I think it's Rafe because I feel like Raph is like R A P H. Sometimes I think the only Raph in history is from the Ninja Turtles. I think every other person is Rafe. Sometimes uh, the Raphael on Jane the Virgin is Raph, but um, is he? Yeah, yeah. Go back and watch. You might be surprised. Uh, so <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, and Rafe and Abby. And Justin and Lexi. These all, are some great names. These are yeah. They all live in this house together and they're all very tightly knit. Okay. And so Lexi like conveniently, Lexi had recorded a bunch of videos on her on her phone. This is taking place in like the mid two thousands, I think. It was published in two thousand eight, and I think if the book's explicit about the year, I've I've forgotten it, but most of the references are to a couple years before this. So it's like before the advent of the iPhone era and stuff. Um before phone video became as ubiquitous as omnipresent. it is present. Right yeah. But she'd record a lot of videos of them interacting, and the cops asked them a bunch of questions and like searched Lexi's room. So they have a bunch of information to give her, and she's like practicing how to talk like Lexi and how to smoke like Lexi and how to laugh like Lexi. And so she gets in and after a couple of close calls, she manages to kind of integrate as Lexi back into this group of people. Hmm. And she's sort of intoxicated by their closeness and just like how idyllic and perfect their lives seem. Like they live in this big old house that they're like lovingly restoring. Um, all of the relationships on the surface seem platonic and there's just like a lot of closeness and a lot of warmth. And it's something that Cassie, whose like parents have died and she spent all of her childhood wishing she had a sister who that she didn't have. Like she has not really had this sort of emotional closeness or intimacy. Yeah. And so she um, picks up Lexi's life with, Relish that should perhaps be worrying to the observer. It is she. She is not. This is entirely objective. Yeah, yeah. and this yeah. is the deal with like undercover stuff. So you did. Did you have? So here's what stuff I found. That you looked up about like what not to do while you're undercover, or what yeah. to do, or what. So I found some undercover tips. I gotta. I want to find my website. Okay, here we go. But I have them. Undercovertips.about.com. I did. So I did Google like tips for going undercover. And the first article I found was about like how to go undercover for an, in an eco activist group. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think that's pertinent. Sometimes I want, I worry like what our Google histories <laughs> look like because of the show. There are conversations you and I have where our Amazon histories get wrecked for like a month. It's fine. Yeah. 
Lots yeah. of lots of Chuck Tingle suggestions. No, stop. Um, <laughs> so these are from a 2008 book written by Dr. Sarah K. Schneider, who's an anthropologist. She like interviewed a bunch of cops and a bunch of detectives and went through some field training stuff. And like you can get this book by going to policeone.com. Like there's like this this source is like vetted, I I think. Um she wrote a book called The Art of Darkness. And she has a couple Ooh. tips for going undercover. And the first is something that you mentioned earlier that like people who are interested in going undercover it could potentially be a life-altering situation because she says that there are career risks to to going undercover. And part of it is not only like what could happen to you while you're doing it, depending on who you're infiltrating, but if you come out, like how will you be perceived? Like will people trust you because sure. you were associated with criminals? Well, right? and there's, there's a lot made in this book of what it does to the detectives, like personal relationships, which almost uniformly collapse I was yeah while it's, they're it's, undercover like it's one of those their wives she, and husbands and, and whatever she doesn't have parents Cassie right like her right fam- yeah. Like, yeah um one is build the build the right truths Andrew don't just make everything up because you will forget it all like you have to be playing <laughs> a version of yourself uh she rec- she recommends using your own initials for whatever name you adopt so that, like you don't forget that part so a point made in this book is she picks a name that sounds just enough like hers that she would turn around if she was Uh called in a crowd or something um and your body (laughs) this is a good tip your body has to substantiate any claims you've made so like one of the examples (laughs) one of the examples is like don't claim you're a bricklayer if you don't if your hands are like silky smooth okay i was gonna be like oh don't tell everybody that you have webbed toes if you (laughs) If you like, don't actually. No, it's more about like your background. Like, don't say you do a thing or have done it. Like, don't go undercover as a marathon runner if you eat ice cream every day and like that's just part of your body makeup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or the if ice you cream just like, part. you know, the ice, I carry my ice cream around in my face. That's what I do. Um, <laughs> also, props are huge. Like, have uh, phone numbers of friends. On you know whatever phone you're carrying around, I guess this was written in 2008, so like maybe that's not a thing. This article specifically cites video rental cards, whatever those are. I don't know. Um, you know, for the blockbuster. Yes. Oh, then, yes. Yeah. You have to. You have to believe it yourself. Like you have to believe in what in in the act because the people that you're playing to are suspicious of you. Usually, it's not like when you're performing as an actor and like the audience wants you to succeed. Hmm. So the, everyone is always, especially when you're going undercover among criminals, like people are looking for holes in your story. Yeah, like people are looking for cops. Uh, I wonder the, if the modern version of having a video rental card is like knowing their Netflix password. Yeah. Can you log into stuff as that person? Yeah, I feel like that would be, that would blow a lot of cover. Or at least answer their security questions. Now right? conveniently, and, and there are a few conveniences that don't really make sense, like and we talked about this in the Fifty Shades of Grey episode, but Lexi, as a college student in the mid two thousands, has an email address at her university that's never been logged into, <laughs> as though vital information is not distributed like uh, universally by email. That's the pits. Um, so, but so they just don't have to worry about that part. Just don't worry about it. Okay. And the last thing that I want to talk about is the what. Dr. Schneider calls the gift of gab and silence. So being able to, you know, kind of, I think I always think of the scene in Ocean's Eleven where George Clooney is like talking to Matt Damon and he's like, you have to talk enough so that people feel comfortable with you, but not Mm -hmm. so much that you'll be remembered. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's that part where she's like, know when to shut up. But this, there's something, and I kind of want to do this, Andrew. I want to see if we could pull this off. There's an undercover skill called roping, which is where you get a suspect to reveal pertinent information without knowing that they're doing it. And there's a field training exercise that you use to cultivate the skill. You go into a mall Mm -hmm. and you approach someone. This says of the same sex. This is written in 2008. So someone that you're like presumably not trying to pick up. Okay. I think is the implication there. Right. And from this cold contact, 
obtain their name, address, educational background, work history, family information, and the make, model, and license number of their vehicle. Whoa. Like, like could you do that if you were in Hot Topic if next somebody, to like, If somebody in the Hot Topic was trying to, like, fish me... Yeah. I don't even know what my license plate number was. I know. Like whenever I need it, like I whip out my phone and I take a picture of the license plate before <laughs> I go into like the DMV because that's the only way I'm going to remember. But that would be like that's should good... we just should we just like start going into the food lion and like mm-hmm. asking people shopping for lettuce like hey what I, I, what is your name? My name is Steve Undercover. (laughs) Hello. Hello. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of want to do this. Not, not, I don't, and then I want to forget. In an illegal way? I don't want to, like, I want to forget all the information as soon as I know that I've gotten it. Well, and we also should do it in a place where we don't need to, like, ever go back. That's true. Just in case we get caught. Go to a mall in like southern New Jersey or something. Right. Anyway, Cassie's undercover. She's infiltrated some early 20s kids. Mid 20s. Mid 20s. So not kids, but students. Young adults. And she's smoking like Lexi. She's laughing like Lexi. Mm-hmm. Living her life like Lexi. Mm-hmm. How's that going for her? It's going a little too well because Uh-oh. once she gets integrated like she's just she's just having too much fun like being loved by these people that she forgets to look for a murderer well it's not that she forgets to look for it but she definitely like from the get-go there's stuff that she finds that she's not telling frank about oh okay because they're they're like checking in regularly over the phone um lexi did these like th- these people are around each other pretty much all the time, but Lexi went out for walks like by herself for an hour or so every night. Mm-hmm. And so when she, as Lexi, goes out on these walks, she is checking in with Sam or with Frank and just like telling them what's up. But yeah, like from from the starting line, she is omitting information at first because she just doesn't like want to be hassled about. It. Like she wants to be able to use it in her own time. But as time goes on, like she's being increasingly protective of all these people. And is she 10 years older than them? Five years older than them? Um, she is only around two years older than Lexi. Oh, okay. Was. Okay. So the age difference isn't a huge deal. Okay. Um, so she does, like, like, at a couple points, she does say, and I, and I realize for the first time, you know, while, like, how much younger these people are than me or, or whatever. Mm. Um, so yeah, she's, she is doing that and like getting close to these people and trying to look for cracks that she can start to probe to just like find out more information. And I guess like, what do you, what do you want to know? Because I can just, I could be fully straightforward and just like tell you like who did what a lot of what happens, or I can just like tell you the kind of stuff that the book is interested in in exploring or, or I like what? the latter. Cause I'll, I'll say that what I really responded to and in, in the woods was the, this idea that a place, you know, there was an archeological dig that was the site of the crime. And it was this place that was wrestling with its history, just as the main character was wrestling with his history and whether or not that was going to allow him to solve the crime. Mm-hmm. Like, how, what about this crime? What about this case? Is Tana French, like, interested in exploring in ways that isn't just about, like, who did what? If there's stuff there. Yeah, I mean, at one level, it's about Cassie, like, rediscovering herself after all the bad stuff that happened in the last book to her. Okay. Cause it really left her rattled mm-hmm. and like rattled to the point where there are a lot of officers who, even if they would never like say it, they don't really know that she is mentally up for always the job. A great, of, yep. Like, always a great place to be <laughs> of going undercover and like doing all this stuff. Um, 
there's some really and, and and we talked about this a little in the in the woods episode, but um, ton of French is really good at making her stories feel like they're set in Ireland for a reason. Okay, like she uses the setting as as a way to give characters motivation. And, so to what to what end in this one? Um, so these these kids are living in this in this house um, that's separated from this small village, and the history of this village is basically like the Brits came in and just said, "Okay, everything is like everything belongs to us now," mm-hmm. and you're basically like tenants in your own country. And so there is a lot of deep seated resentment in the community towards like initially just toward the people in this in this house but eventually it became just as much about like the house itself and kind of what it represented like there's this one character who is an early suspect for the murder who has been like vandalizing the house and and like trying to scare people off and the reasoning is is like more it's more complicated than you might think at first blush. Like you might think, oh, it's just some townie who's like mad at the rich kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not quite that. It's like the the old guy um, Simon who used to live there. He's um, Daniel's like uncle or something. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, had an opportunity to to sell the house to people who would come in like develop the land and like bring more people and more like jobs back to this dying village. Like the village is maybe like 300 people or so. And Mm. most of them are older. So it's a very much like a, like an, and, and I think this is a problem pretty much everywhere now is that like a lot of rural areas are dying as younger people move into cities like looking for jobs and looking for social opportunities and and whatever and i know that like i made that move you yeah. not quite so much no. like you were always in in the suburbs of philly but i was in like rural ohio and i was like bye <laughs> girl girl bye i'm going uh-huh. to i'm going to the east coast i'm not coming back um well and something i see when i go out to iowa to visit Laura's family because there is a the biggest the two big industries I see out there are farming and healthcare. So like it's either you have a farm to work on or you went to school and you need a place to be a doctor. And like in between there are people living their lives and there are jobs that fulfill those ends. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have those those two particular goals, I could see a lot of reasons why you might not live there anymore yeah so and yeah so so this person who's been like vandalizing this house is not it's not a basic like rural versus urban thing it's like he Mm. thinks that like this village exists because this family like came in and had all these people around to like service the estate Mm. okay and so he thinks that this family has a sort of responsibility almost to take care of the residents, even though even though all the stuff happened like a hundred plus years ago, like the, it was just like it was irresponsible and it was unfair for the the leader of this family or like what what used to be the figurehead of this community to to not do things that would benefit the community. Huh. So instead, he's just clinging to this house because it's his house, and Daniel has come in and, and is kind of doing the same thing. Because uh, Daniel has a cousin, uh, Ned, who is trying to buy the place and like turn it into luxury apartments, and and the the goals for him are slightly different, but the message is the same. Like if you if you give up your house and like make way for quote unquote modernity, mm. it would be good for this. Like it would be better for the community than what's happening now. So that's interesting because that's that was a through line in the last book too of this like. There was a highway that was going to cut through the town and people were dealing with whether or not they were going to sell their property, with whether or not certain areas were going to get developed. And this place with a rich history, this country with a rich history, grappling with whether or not to reinvent itself for 
reasons that don't feel satisfying because they're not as woven into the community. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's always about like, who's, who is being benefited by these decisions? Like what's the right decision in the long run? Yeah. Um, there's, there's a running thread throughout the book that talks about, um, Irish people's relationship with real estate. And I, it does go back to that, that thing where they, like they, as a people feel like they were made to be tenants in their own country where, yeah, yeah. Like, People like the real estate market in Ireland, at least in this in this book, I assume it's true because Tana French lives there and like why make this up? But you pay a ton to buy a house and there's there's a line in the book where it's like like you pay as much in Dublin for real estate as you would in New York. But the difference is that in New York, you get New York for your money. (laughs) And in Dublin, you apparently you apparently don't. Okay, I like that. Um, I wonder. I wonder what about this is different eight years down the line, and what if it's the same? I imagine you know. Yeah, I imagine I'm there's sure. a little column and, A, column B there. Yeah, but and I don't know, I'm not. But I, but I think there's a there's a lot of tension along these lines. Like like you could see it in the in the Brexit thing. Like it's kind of yeah. the same lines where you've got the younger urban people on one side of an issue and the older more rural people on the other side of an issue and it's kind of the same thing like they are not seeing economic benefits because a lot of the jobs and a lot of the young people have moved and maybe they are like misplacing the blame for that on like immigrants or whatever yeah yeah that doesn't mean that it's not a real problem yeah they they are expressing it in perhaps the worst possible way but <laughs> yes, but they have do, been led like, to it believe, doesn't make their yeah. suffering like not real or whatever. Yeah, let's do a Brexit podcast. Um, so what about as we kind of wind down? Yeah, I want to get this back question, to... and I want to talk about French's writing a little bit in response right. to um, some stuff I said in the in the Woods episode. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can then we can go like okay, we haven't talked a lot about the plot, and that's like fine. The plot of this book is it's really engaging. Like you said about In the Woods, like it's really you really want to know what happens next. Like you are just once you're in the book, you're like speeding toward the end because you want to know. So basically, once you get to that group of friends, there's it's really just about like unfolding what happened to her. Yeah, it's all about those like relationships. Yeah, uh, it's it's about first observing them as a group, but then as she becomes more familiar with the group, and this happened a little bit in uh, the secret history too. Sure. Sure. Is, um, breaking down the tensions between individual people in that group and discovering that, yeah, it's not all blueberries and paper airplanes. Like there is stuff. (laughs) What is that? There's all stuff under the surface. That Sounds is like simmering. a terrible party. Yeah, I mean, it is a reference to the Bachelorette, which I'm. Oh sure yeah. Oh, okay. Is the thing that 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 was said. On You're the Bachelorette. right. Yeah. Oh man. I figured you would get the reference, but whatever. I'm trying to focus on the actual story. Whatever, here. man. Hayes in the barn. Pigs in the castle. <laughs> um, I wanted to know what, if anything, else is made about the doppelganger aspect of Cassie and Lexi? Like, is there anything thematic there or is it really just about, is it just the setup for the book? Like, um, Cassie does feel like she understands Lexi and that she, and this person she never really actually met were linked because mm. Cassie got stabbed while she was undercover. And then she left this identity behind where it was later picked up by that's weird by uh, Lexi who had like the book details a lot of what she had done, but this was not the first identity she had assumed. Like she had basically been running away from home under an assumed name since she was 16. So like a good, a good like 13 years. Huh? So she just like serially did this and that's a cool wrinkle. Okay. um, And Cassie notices this thread where basically like anytime anything started to get permanent, for Lexi in any way like Lexi would start looking for the door like she she had a fiance she left behind in North Carolina she had jobs that she left behind in San Francisco and all over the place and um she was pregnant 
when like a month pregnant when she was killed hmm. and she had been looking for the door. Okay. Yeah. Because of, because of that and because these people like they loved her and, and like it was starting to feel very like, and she owned part of this house and it was starting to feel like very familial and, and she was starting to feel tied, tied down and Cassie like intuits this. And like understands because like Lexi is a version of Cassie who just made different choices a couple of times, basically. Okay. I I like mysteries like this when it isn't just who did the thing to this person and why did they do it. It there's also an element of the victim or the deceased being like a moving target. And they're not a perfect person and they you have to learn as much about them as you do about whoever committed the crime. Right, right. To actually solve it. Like mm-hmm. those are that I find that those are the stories in this genre that I like the most because you can kind of set up these like double bluffs. Right. And it, where, and it's like yeah. and the one thing that the book does is just like ask you to take on faith is that like these two people are totally unrelated and just happen to look exactly like one each other, one oh, another. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's, it's never a thing where it, it turns out to be like her secret sister or something. It's just like here is a person who, for purposes of this plot, looks exactly like this other person. And once you accept that, then the story can move forward. <laughs> like with no laser face surgery. Yeah, or, right. There's okay. no like face off situation this happening face off. <laughs> uh so what did you want to say about french's writing in the so in, in the in the woods episode i listened to the whole thing and i was kind of surprised that like midway through i kind of start bagging on it a little bit because all of your descriptions about it sound very like just typical mystery stuff Sure, I I've, I tend to explain with trope first, so that that would make sense. Yeah, and, and I want I wanted to say that the likeness has a lot of the same stuff, and it did take me um, the first like five or ten percent of the book to like really start reading it without sort of internally rolling my eyes a little bit because you do get these like hard boiled detective tropes mm-hmm. where everybody talks a mile a minute. And people can read these insanely detailed emotions just by like looking at somebody's eyes or something that and that sort of thing kind of bugs me. Um, there is literally like a Chekhov's gun. It's like a actually a gun that shows up Good. early in the book and is fired by the end. Yep. Um, and on, on paper, it all sounds pretty canned but i will say now that i've read a book and this is something that you're trying to convey to me that i do not know (laughs) that i was super receptive about but in reading the book you realize like how good tana french is at, at what she's doing and that even if you are sort of bothered by those elements like there there is a lot of value in just being able to tell this kind of story really well which is what she does like she's She's just she's really good at writing. She's really good at putting you in someone's head. She's really good at giving you stakes mm-hmm. and someone to root yeah. for, even mm-hmm. as she makes it like complicated. So she's just she's I can see why her books are acclaimed because she does what she does very well. Cool. Yeah. And it sets up Frank O'Neill. Can you tell that he's gonna be the next Frank guy? Frank Mackey. Frank Mackey, sorry. It's not Sam like O'Neill. it's just there there are a bunch of characters. Like the next book could just as easily pick up with Sam and and Cassie again. Okay. Um But yeah, Frank is a very prominent secondary character, I would say, in this book. So it sure. does and it sounds like that's a that's a role that Cassie sort of occupied in in the woods. So it does it does make sense, I guess, that he was the next person. Okay. Especially because you leave this book kind of wondering like what makes you tick, dude? Like what is what is what is going on with you inside your head actually? And, and yet Cassie's arc kind of feels complete. More or less. Like I'm I'm sure that over the course of the next four books she is mentioned or checked in with yeah. often enough that fans of the entire series will, will feel good about it. Sure. But, um, but yeah, this is, this is a self-contained book. And again, even if you didn't read the first one, like there's a lot to enjoy here, even though I'm sure people who read the first one and then read this one will appreciate 
a few of the callbacks like more than I could. Cool. Yeah. There you I, go. It sounds like if someone went up to a bookshelf looking for like, I'm going to buy someone a mystery novel by a contemporary author. The only ton of French one they have is this one or the fourth one. They're probably fine. <laughs> Can't speak for the fourth one, but yes, if it's anything like this one, I think that's basically right. Great. If you, the listener here, have read uh, the fourth ton of French book whose name Broken escapes me. Broken Harbor. Right? Thanks, Andrew. Broken Harbor, Harbor with a U. Heart. Yep. You can hit us up on social media. That's twitter.com slash overdue pod or facebook.com slash overdue pod and let us know what you think of that book or this episode. I want to thank a lot of people who reached out to us after last week's episode with uh, Camille and Christina from the Two Black Hotties. Um, that was great fun. You should go listen to it if you haven't. I don't know why you didn't yet. Yeah, come, come on, on dude. Why you uh, don't listen to the... 188th podcast without listening to the 187th podcast you have to listen to them all in you're order. gonna you're gonna miss stuff um but so i want to thank the northwest high school library in cincinnati ohio i want to thank mr j and melissa b and christina and grace and Catherine and sean and margaret and bookmans and sloth iq and graham jeff lucas Ciaswina, kate Ariel, Molly, Alyssa, R.A., Karen, Grace, Erica, Jenny, Michael, Elizabeth, Sophie, Ella, Christian, Lindsay, Laura, Rachel, Taylor, Catherine, Alice, Joshua, Hannah, Melissa, Christina, Morgan. <laughs> breathe, breathe. Uh, for writing in, um, sharing their thoughts on that episode and previous episodes as well. Um, you can also send those into overduepod at gmail.com. One of these days we'll get around to doing another mailbag episode. Andrew, if they wanted to find out more about the show or find that uh, previous Tana French episode, where should they go? Uh, they should go to overduepodcast.com, which is our website where we have links to iTunes and Google Play and our RSS feed and to Stitcher. Those are all things that you can use to subscribe to the show. Um, if you do subscribe in iTunes, leave us a rating or a review because it helps us rise in the rankings and it helps other people find the show. We don't uh, typically advertise. So um, word of mouth and just like basic iTunes discoverability and stuff, that's the way that we grow. So whenever you leave us a rating or a review, that just that helps us do that. Helps more people find the show. And um, we've also got links to HeadGum, our podcast network, Spreaker, our podcast host. We also have a link to our Patreon page, which is a way you can support us financially on an ongoing basis. Um, if you support us at the $5 a month level or above, you get to uh, recommend a book that we bump to the top of our queue. Um, this week's episode um, was supported by Samantha, who recommended the likeness. So thank you very much, Samantha, for your support. And I hope that we did right by this book that you like. Yeah. It's always a worry. Like, I always I worry people are going to give us a like, real cold, hard currency to talk about a book that we just <laughs> brutally slag on <laughs> for an hour. But it hasn't <laughs> quite happened yet. No, not quite. Close a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually more worried when we do a book that people love and then like we talk about Pokemon for 20 minutes. Like that I'm has happened. That. I'm not worried about that. Okay, great. I'm not worried about that. Um, and then again, um, Craig, tell them, tell them about the live show again. Yeah. So first, next week, I'm going to be talking about Shadow Shaper, which is a book by Daniel Jose Older. It's a YA book that was recommended to us. I'm excited about that. Uh, and then, yes, August 20th. Saturday, 6 p.m., Watership Down by Richard Adams at the Tattooed Mom as part of the third, fourth annual Philadelphia Podcast Festival. We're closing out that day. Come see Andrew's TV show. I don't know what it's called. I don't really remember anymore. Appointment Television, HB Stop. Podcast. Yeah, stop. Yep. And <laughs> uh, like, have a drink or two. Hang out with us in the hour between that show and our show where we will assuredly not be nervous or anything. Yeah, especially hang out with us in the hours after that, though. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the hour before is going to be spent mostly trying not to throw up or something. Yeah, so, yeah. like, <laughs> And if you if you think you're going to come, like, we really appreciated some of the folks last year uh, who made the drive or the flight or whatever and also, like, gave us a heads up that they were going to be there so that we could find them at the bar and say hi. Because, like... The fact that y'all listen makes our day and week and month every time that we hear from you. And like actually getting to thank you in person for that is something we really enjoy and yeah. 
appreciate. Yeah, think so. think of meeting us in person as like a a really high resolution video chat version what? of Twitter or something. Like when you interact <laughs> with us on Twitter, it feels great, but you interact with us in real life feels even better. I might cut, yeah. I might cut that part. We'll see. I don't it's sure you do what you need to do. It's getting late. I'm tired. I think we're done Let's here. Let's be done. Okay, we'll be back next Monday. Until then, everybody, thank you so much for listening and try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.